Father, all that we have, all the blessings and benefits is because of what Jesus did for us. And so, Father, we praise you for that name. When we exalt that name, and Father, that your words would be said in the power of that name, your deeds would be done, your glory would be made manifest. And Lord, you left us on earth to get a job done. Father, help us get that job done. Even so, Lord Jesus, we bid thee come. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fredonia edition of Family Church. Now, the reason we say the Fredonia edition, we're one of 10 locations that started from this church throughout New York, Pennsylvania, and in Europe, and more to come, and so we welcome each and every one of you, and we're so thrilled to have visiting guests with us, return guests, people we haven't seen in a while, and of course, our church members and attenders here, and all those watching via live stream all over the world, we welcome you. You know, God has a plan for every service, and so God, we believe God is going to say something to each and every one of us, we're going to get help. We're going to get answers. We're going to get direction for our lives. And so God bless you for coming out today. And uh, I believe that God will reward you for your diligence. And so praise the Lord. Hey, um, here at Family Church, what we do is we give uh, a brief time of praise and worship and honoring God with our lips and our hands raised up. And the Bible says that is a sacrifice unto God. That is worship to him. But the Bible also tells us another way we worship God is in our giving. The Bible says that uh, we are to honor the Lord with our substance or with our means, with our income. And so this is part of the worship services where we show honor and reverence to God. On the overhead screen, there's a multitude, and we say a multitude, but uh, literally one, two, three, four, five, six. I guess that's a little shy of a multitude. But anyway, there's at least six ways you can give here uh, this morning. And so whatever one you understand, if you don't understand, it and you don't need to give that way but we we still take chat checks and cash and all that you can fill out offering them in the seat pocket in front of you and if you're more tech gavi you know gavi that's not even a word savvy Gabby, Sabby, and so come to Family Church where we continually make up words that you can use in your everyday life, and so ways to give, and so the most important thing, of course, is we just don't give an offering. This is an expression of our worship and our heart, and I've chosen for an offering scripture, and I always like to refer uh, to this from time to time because it's so precious and so dear and reminds us the importance of the heart in our giving. In Mark chapter 12, uh, verses 41 through 44, it says this, that Jesus sat over the treasury, that means where they were giving the offering, and behold how people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which made a farthing. Uh, probably equivalent, maybe two quarters, you know, two nickels, something like that. And he, Jesus, called unto him his disciples and said unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow has cast more in than they which cast in the treasury. For all they did cast in in their abundance, but she ever wanted to cast in all that she had, even all of her living. And this is so powerful and so amazing. And that's why it's so important that we look at things from a biblical view or a God view. You know, naturally speaking, from a natural viewpoint, here this woman, when it came to the offering, put in at most two quarters. You know, two quarters isn't going to pay much. <laughs> you know, he isn't going to pay the light bill. It isn't going to take care of much. Uh, but that's all that she had. And so really we look at that. Well, two quarters didn't do much, but uh, we'll, we'll use it. But Jesus shows us here God's viewpoint of our giving. That Jesus looks at the heart of our giving. And uh, Jesus said here that people that have abundance can give much. You know, as such as you have, you can give. And so they put in much, and no doubt God bless them through the much. But this woman, according to God, according to Jesus, gave more than the rich people. Why? She gave all that she had. Now, we're not taking an offering up here and we want you to give all that you have. But I truly believe it has to do with heart. 
And I, I believe it has to do with percentage as well. That uh, in the kingdom of God, it, you know, we understand about tithing the 10% and so forth. But here we see that she gave a greater percentage of her income than those that are rich. And of course, the heart attached to it. And so many times um, that we know this, you know, if you ever count the offering, whenever anyone puts a dollar bill in or a $5 bill in, they're, they're kind of ashamed. And they, they crinkle it up and they throw it in. Or if they're going to give a bunch of quarters or change, you know, they, they take their change out and, you know, they just don't drop it because it's going to draw attention. They just kind of put it in where it doesn't make a sound. Because, you know, people, people are ashamed. Well, this woman was not ashamed. And because she was not ashamed and just gave her heart, gave what she had, no doubt we know the Lord blessed her. And I can't wait to, for all of us to get to heaven and find out what kind of return she had. We know through all, all the Bible, whenever anyone gave to the Lord, he multiplied it greatly. Remember the little boy, five loaves and two fishes? He gave them to Jesus. He went home with 12 baskets full of bread to bring home to mom and daddy, brothers and sisters. And so, again, and so just a reminder that when we give, it's not so much the amount, it's the heart of our giving. Again, we're emphasizing the worship in our giving. And so we're going to give an opportunity to give, whether it be great or small, the most important thing is your heart. So if we can have our service come forward, please, and let us pray. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for the opportunity to give. And Father, we thank you that you look at our heart, you look at the percentage, you look at why we give and how we give and father that if we're just not paying a bill father we're honoring you to carry out the work of god in the earth and father you're faithful and true that whenever we give to you father that your grace abounds towards us that comes back to us good measure pressed down shaking together and father we we abound in every good work and father we call this building paid off we call all the people that give in this offering blessed we're blessed to be a blessing in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. While the ushers are uh, taking up the offering, as our announcer said, Pastor Scott says that uh, today is Mission Sunday, and we're going to take up a special offering for our missionaries, the Taylors, who were originally in Quebec, Canada. Now they're in the French uh, the French-speaking area of Congo and just reaching out primarily to uh, nations that speak French. And what one opportunity that we have from this place to sow into others. We know God's been good to us. God's been faithful to us. And it, it is more blessed to give. And I'm just thrilled. This is something the Lord laid on my heart to do is to bless other ministries and missionaries, especially those ministering in other worlds. And in just a moment, we're going to take up a, a, another offering for that. And for those of you who are visiting with us, don't feel obligated to give in any offering. We're just so thrilled that you're here to hear the Word of God. And so we don't want anyone to feel pressured because not every week we take up a secondary offering. But uh, it just gives all of us that come here an opportunity to be a blessing to people outside, not only these walls, not, not only outside this nation, but the world. And so, uh, again, it's an opportunity. So we just appreciate everyone that has come. And uh, I just want to make a little note that uh, actually, uh, you know, the announce, uh, Pastor Scott said this, and I just realized I, go, I leave for Europe next week. I'm doing my missionary trip. You know, I'm so focused on anybody else. And so I just appreciate everyone that has helped us, that has as a given, but primarily if you just pray, because, uh, you know, I'll be speaking, I'll be speaking, I think, in uh, Spain's largest church, I'm for a church that uh, I've never met the pastor, and they want me to come, and, uh, you know, I got to do three, the three Sunday services, and uh, you've heard this before, but I guess the church is so big, and the, there's not buildings available, that in that church, the church members are only, uh, re they can only go to the church one Sunday a month. Why is that? Because that way it gives everyone a chance to at least be in a public assembly for, for that Sunday. And so they have to take turns because there's not a big enough church for them. And so here I am going to a Spanish church 
I've never spoke with interpreter. I don't know the language. This is my first missionary trip. And so I'm being baptized in, in a wonderful way. And so I'll be ministering there in, in other church and so forth and uh, divine connections. So thank you. Thank you for praying. Believe with me. If you think about me, pray for me. And, you know, we just want to get God's will done. And we want to start what we've done in the United States starts branching out into Europe. And so this is the start of those things. So. I just, again, want to thank you. And so if you don't see me for a little bit, I'll be in Europe. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And so, hey, uh, let's go ahead and have our ushers come forward. Again, this is going to Nations 180. Reverends Ken Tanya Taylor. Um, they minister the French-speaking nations throughout the world. And they're based now in the Democratic a Republic of the Congo. Now, don't ask me to find that on the map, but I know it's somewhere there. And they're dear friends of mine, and so what a privilege. And so, again, there's a multitude of ways of giving. Um, I, I gave and checked. Uh, the first offering, this I'm giving by church app, and so I always want to be an example that I give in every offering. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of giving. Thank you for Ken and Tanya Taylor. Thank you that they gave their lives in the ministry of the gospel to the French-speaking world. And Father, as we send this offering to them, we send it with our faith and our love. And Father, may they get the job that you've given them done, their assignment done. And when they stand before you, Lord Jesus, you'll say, well done. And Father, I thank you for all the precious and wonderful people, the generous people here that give. And Father, I ask a special blessing uh, Father, upon this offering, as they have a heart to give them to others, I thank you that it'll come back to them in wonderful ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and wait on the people. Again, this is uh, a second offering for missionaries. And again, to our visiting friends, don't feel like you have to give in this offering. Um, this is something special we like to do to help people around the world. You know, God so loved that he gave. And so we so love God that we love to give. Amen. Well, without further ado, let's go ahead and dismiss our kids if they haven't been dismissed already to their program downstairs. And um, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them to Matthew chapter 16. If you're visiting with us, you can bring your, your kids down to their program or they can stay in the service. Whatever you desire, whatever you decide is fine. And so in and Matthew chapter 6, starting uh, with verse one, um, I'm going to share something that's it's kind of interesting. It's been on my heart, and I'm going to really need you to help me get this message out. And so, um, you know, the Apostle Paul said this, that utterance would be given unto me, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And so sometimes when a message is placed on a preacher's heart, there, there has to be utterance. There has to be unction to say it. And it has to be said in a way that it should be said. And so I'm just going to trust uh, the Holy Ghost and trust you to help me to get this out. And so in the book of Matthew, chapter 16, starting with verse 1, And the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, tempting, desiring him that he should show them a sign from heaven. And he answered and said to them, When it is evening, you shall say, It is fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the time. So we read here that the religious leaders, the Sadducees and uh, the Pharisees, who were the religious uh, nobles of the day, they were coming to Jesus, tempting him, and uh, you know they didn't accept him as the Messiah sent from God, and so they were asking for a sign, and say, well, show us a sign, prove to us that you are the Messiah. And he gave him a very interesting answer, and he, he said this, he said, um, you know, you know how to discern uh, the weather, through the signs in the heavens. And he said, if it's red outside in the evening, that means next day it's going to be good weather. Uh, I don't know if you've you known that. You know, red skies at night, sailors delight. Red, star, I mean, red skies in morn, you know, sailors be warned. you warned or something like that. Uh, you know, I knew that growing up. And so, and it's still true today that um, you can look at 
the weather. And you can tell how, you know, the, the redness in the sky and determine what the weather is going to be that day or the next day. And so Jesus said, you know, you, you look at the natural things, the natural signs, and, and you can say, well, this is what the weather's going to be like. You can discern the face uh, of the, the clouds and so forth. But here Jesus said, but you cannot discern the signs of the time. And so what Jesus is saying that uh, you, you, you discern natural things, but uh, you, you have to also discern spiritual things. And so here from this verse, we see that um, Jesus wants us to understand the times and the seasons that we live in. He expected the religious people of that day to know the season time. And because they didn't know the season time, they missed out a lot of what God had planned for them. So what I'd like to do is simply look into the Bible, if that's okay, and just see what type, what, what is the time and the season that we're in? What does the Bible say about what can be expected in these days? And uh, what are the warnings of the times that we live in? And be able to discern them and maybe learn a lesson along the line, uh, along the way. And so uh, with that, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. So what is the signs of our time? Does the Bible say anything about the days that we live in? And so we are to discern this, we're to understand that, and we are to heed any lesson the Bible has to say. And so 2 Timothy chapter 3, and starting with verse 1. And it says, this know also. So this is something that God wants us to know. What do, does God want us to know? In the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, Incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, as such turn away. So here, Paul, 2,000 years ago, approximately, looked into the future and saw the signs of time of the last days. And it's very interesting when he said, when he saw the last days, when he saw the future, he said this, in the last days, perilous, I mean, not King James, perilous times will come. Now, your translation may read something different, but I looked that word perilous up. It means um, dreadful, difficult. Hard, harsh, hard to bear. Many translations say difficult to bear. In the end days, difficult things will be, uh, it'll be difficult in the last days. You know, so it sounds awful. You know, here he sees in the last days, perilous times shall come. He sees in the future and it looks awful and looks bad. And uh, when I think of perilous when I think of hard, difficult, you know, you read the book of Revelation. If you ever read the book of Revelation, after chapter 4, it gets pretty bad. It looks pretty perilous on the face of the earth. And so, you know, just naturally thinking, I think perilous times, you know, everything bad in the book of Revelation, unbearable. But it, what is very interesting, he goes on and tells us what he means by perilous or difficult times. And so go ahead and put that on overhead screen keep it up there but this know also in the last days perilous times or difficult times shall come and notice the list men shall be lovers of their own selves covetous boasters proud blasphemers disobedient parents unthankful unholy without natural affection truce breakers false accusers incontinent fears despisers of those are good traitor heady high-minded lovers of pleasure more than god have a form of godliness but dying denying the power thereof as such turn away notice the difficult times or the perilous times doesn't 
have anything to do with national calamities. It doesn't talk about wars. It doesn't talk about famines. It doesn't talk about drought. It doesn't talk about disease. <laughs> you, know, I'm, you know, Jesus talked about some those things in time, but, but Paul, by the Spirit, is saying hard, difficult times will come. And uh, he begins to tell us the condition of people outside of Christ, that men will be lovers of self. And um, I, do you think Paul was a false prophet? Do, do you think that this is our day that we live in? Uh, if we're honest, we can say yes. If you look in the world, especially Hollywood and so forth, uh, are people lovers of themselves? Are people selfish, naturally selfish? Of course they are. Um, are they proud, arrogant? Yes. Um, unholy, unthankful, blessing. You go through this list and you can see that this is the conditions of the last days. Now, again, Paul calls us perilous or difficult times. And he's referring to the lost world. He is not referring to the church. And it's important to know that even though we live in this type of society, the Bible says evil men will become worse and worse. We know in the last days things will get darker and gloomier, harder in the world. The evil men will wax worse and worse, the Bible says. But we have to understand that we're not in this lot. That we have been delivered from the power of darkness. We've been translated in the kingdom of the dear son. We've been born again. We don't have the nature that the world is experiencing, the deception the world is experiencing. And so when we look at the signs of the times, here we can see, yeah, yeah, these are the last days. Uh, this is what has happened in the world. It's been told 2,000 years ago. And so, yes, the signs of time, perilous times are upon us. People are emulating these qualities in their life. But here we see it based in the world. What people in the world will give heed to. But I want to see, is there any warning concerning Christians? Is anything that we must be mindful about in the last days, in these perilous times that the Bible talks about? And so with that thought, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Again, why we're looking at this, Jesus told the Pharisees, you know, you can, you can discern the weather, you know how, what's happening in the weather, but you don't know what's happening spiritually in society, the signs of time. So we want to be mindful of these things. Paul said in the last days, perilous times will come, and he tells us the conditions of the lost world. But now we're going to look at concerning in these days, is there any admonition, any warning concerning Christians or children of God? And so, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. So that means the Holy Ghost is emphasizing something. In the latter times. And so again, it's talking about the last days. Now, how do you know we're in the last days? Well, in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit of God fell upon uh, the disciples, Peter stood up and said about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel, in the last days God will pour out His Spirit. So, in the book of Acts, about 2,000 years ago was the start of the last days. And so, we live in the latter part of the last days. And here, 2,000 years ago again, Paul is seeing in the future... First of all, we saw what he saw about the lost world, the world conditions and people. Now we're going to see something he says about Christians and the church. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly in the latter times or in last days, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrine of devils. Well, this is very cheery here this morning, isn't it? But it's in the Bible. Paul says, this is what's going to be like in the world. We're not of the world. We've overcome the world. But now we, we see Paul is giving us admonition about Christians and the church in the last days. So what he is, he's, 
He's telling us what, what's happening, what to look out for, what to take heed of in the last days. And so here he, he talks about another sign in the last days is that people will fall away from the faith. Now, what is important is to understand what he's saying here. The Bible says we need to study the Word of God that we might rightly divide it. One translation says to take the Word of God in the right course, a right direction, a right path. Because you can misinterpret the Bible. You can, you can make the Bible say anything you want to. So we want to rightly divide what he's saying here. And so when he says that people will depart from faith, he's not just talking about the general population. You know how every, every generation, you know, maybe mom and dad you know, went to church, then maybe their kids partially went to church and the grandkids now don't go to church. It's not talking about a generational thing. It's talking about Christians that have walked in faith, that have walked in the place. And what, what he is saying is this, that in the last days, what we should be taking heed, that we should be observing, is not to depart from the faith. And so, we, we understand that there is an end-time assault from the enemy. And we know it talks about uh, seducing spirits and doctrine devil. There is an end-time attack against the church to try to get the Christians to depart from the faith. Now, of course, we, we want to base everything biblically, but also I saw this in the spirit oh, a couple of years ago. I saw a great onslaught of demon and demon activity come against the church, and the word of the Lord came to me and says, many of my children will not be ready for it. And, as, and we, we can go through chapter and verse. You know, the Bible says in the book of Revelation that Satan, when he knows his, his time is short, he increases his activity in the earth. And so here Paul, again, we're just going to stick to the scripture. Paul is saying that in the end days, there's going to be an onslaught of spiritual activity to try to get people to depart from the faith. Now, how do we know this is talking about Christians? Well, it's very easy. You can't depart from something you don't have. You cannot depart from church this morning unless what? You've been in church. And so you cannot depart from faith or the faith unless what? You had the faith. And so it's not talking about, you know, through time, you know, generation to generation that we, we've gotten further and further. No, it's talking about an individual, a Christian who was in faith, uh, now is departing from the faith. And what is very interesting, not only does it say depart, it tells us the reason they are. It's a spiritual thing. It's not a natural thing, a spiritual thing. It says this, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So can you see that this is a spiritual tack? So what the Word of God is saying in the last days, there will be spiritual attacks against Christians, against the church, and the sole purpose of those attacks is that for them to depart from the faith. Now, have you seen this? Oh, yeah, it's quite amazing. Can I say something? You know, um, we can take the COVID-19 uh, uh, pandemic. You know, we know that that was not from God. We know that uh, that is something that Satan gave birth to because the Bible says uh, the thief cometh not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. And we know through that uh, pandemic, you know, people's lives uh, were taken. People got sick. Uh, finances were, were robbed and so forth. So this thing was not of God. It was an, an attack against people in the last days. But I believe it also was a great spiritual attack upon people. Now, what is very interesting if you're to take a survey through, and I don't know about other parts of the world, but in New York, I've, I've talked to pastors in Canada, that uh, on average, that uh, many churches have lost 30 to 40% of their congregation because of COVID. Now, it isn't because their, their congregations died. You know how many know they died and went to heaven? That's one thing. They, they got early retirement. But through the pandemic, something happened 
and then folks stop coming to church. And so, you know, folks just think, well, you know, it's just a natural thing. No, it's a spiritual thing. You know, notice it's called seducing spirits. And uh, we can almost say secretive spirits, slow-moving spirits. You know, if we, we, we've used this illustration. If the devil was to come knocking at your door, and he is all red, he's got his, uh, you know, long horns, uh, his pitchfork, his pointed tail, you smell sulfur, you know, and he, he looks horrible, and he knocks on the door and says, I'm the devil, I've come to steal, I've come to kill and destroy. You know, most of us Christians would slut the door and say no such thing. And so Satan's got to work slowly and over time. The Bible says uh, he roams, and we talked about as a, a roaring lion seeking me devour, and part of the strategies of Satan is slow and over time, slowly. The Bible says it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Uh, suggestions and decisions that, and over the course of time, and, and having two years away from church, you know, some churches closed, we didn't, that that got them to place. You know, I am comfortable no longer going to church. I'm comfortable. I'm fine with that. And uh, it is a great onslaught against Christians. Now, how, how do you know that that is part of it? Well, the Bible says this, and we will, um, uh, I'll read it to you, and we'll try to get it on the red screen. It, it says this, i got to find it myself, in Hebrews 10.25, it says this, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. And so we talk what? Public assembly. As the manner of some is. You know, there's some people, even before the pandemic, says, I don't need to be Christian. I don't need to go to church. And so that's what it's talking about. The manner of some is. Not Christian thinking, you know, worldly uh, self-thinking. But exhorting one another so much more as what? You see the day approaching. So this is the doctrine of God. The doctrine of God is, says, we're not to forsake the assembling. So the doctrine of God is we need to assemble together as Christians in a public setting. But notice this, and so much more as you see the day approaching. So what does the doctrine of God say? In the last days, we ought to be going to church more and not less. So you can see when I'm saying in last days... Seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. A doctrine of demons says, I, I, can be a, I can be a good Christian, not go to church. I don't need to go to church anymore. But that's not the doctrine of God. But it doesn't mean they're not saved. It doesn't, it doesn't mean, but slowly they begin seduced to that way of thinking. And now they've departed from coming to church. They've departed from the truth of God. And again, what I'm shown is very subtle. Very subtle, but the Bible is very clear in these last days that there will be an onslaught of these things coming against the church. And so let's go ahead and look at our, our scripture, 1 Timothy 4.1. Again, this is in the Bible. How many know we need to teach the whole counsel of God? And uh, we're just looking at the warnings we saw the condition of the world. We're not of the world. We see that what Paul said about the world has come to pass. But here in 1 Timothy 4.1, But the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And so there's going to be a departure from the faith, and it will be satanic in nature that will seduce them away from the faith. I use the COVID departing from church to see just one aspect of this. Can we say this? You know, this is coming to pass. We can see it clear. Now, um, when I read this, when we talk about seducing spirits and, and doctrines of devils, you know, I, I think about people maybe falling away from God and getting into the occult, getting to witchcraft, you know, <laughs> something very blatant. But just like when Paul said there was perilous times in the world, 
it wasn't talking about wars and famines and, and pestilence. It's talking about the condition of people. It wasn't what we thought. When it comes about departing from the faith, it's not what we naturally think. That's why we need to study the Word of God. These seducing spirits, this demonic release, their job, their job description is to seduce people to depart from something. Now, very interesting, it says to depart from the faith. You notice it does not say to depart from God. Yeah, it does not say that, that they depart or renounce the Christian. They, they depart, and really what it's indicating is a part from a place in faith that they once stood and walked back from. It's not saying that they gave up on Christianity. How many know that Christians that don't go to church after 9-11 or decided I can be a good Christian and not go to church, how many know that they're saved, they'll go to heaven, but they've been deceived or deluded by a doctrine of a demon? And so... They, they, they departed from that. They departed from truth. And so here again, I'm just exposing what is happening. So demons want to seduce to depart. Doesn't say from God, but from the faith. Again, if Satan were to come and say, serve me, I'll get into witchcraft and I'll give you some power and then I'll take you to hell. Not one of us is going to take that. But if he can be subtle and in little ways over time, just to get us off track a little bit, I mean, oh, we can depart. Um, I remember, uh, no, I shouldn't say I remember, but, uh, you know, I do a lot of flying. You know, if I go from here to California, uh, there's, there's a path I must take. But if I just get a few degrees off, you know, and say, that's like a five, six hour uh, flight. If I'm five or six hours off, just a degree off of where I need to go, how many you know I can end up in Canada? I can end up in Mexico. I can end up in the Pacific Ocean. I will miss my target, my path. And that's all Satan wants to do is for all of us. We have a race to run. We have a place to be. If he can just slightly get us to what? Depart from the path. Depart from the plan, depart from a truth, then, then, then our faith will be shipwrecked and he can rob us of our destiny. And so I want to look at this departing. Now, number one, this departing can be a place of faith, which simply means that people that were once Christians have chosen not to be a Christian anymore and they've departed from God and from the faith, that we can take it from face value. Again, no one wakes up one morning, going to church, loving God, then goes to bed one night, unless they get demon-possessed, and all of a sudden wake up and I renounce God. You have to know it is subtle over time. A great illustration is found in the book, I Believe in Demons, where Jesus told Brother Hagin how the devil gets a hold of people, even Christians, and he talks about a pastor's wife where a demon would sit on her uh, shoulder and whisper things, and she would rebuke those thoughts, you know, tr trying to get her into the world, rebuke it, and he just kept at it over and over and over again in time until she started to, to believe those suggestions, embrace those suggestions, and it caused her to depart from the faith. And so there is an onslaught trying to get. And so that's the reason we're exposing. That way any thought tells you to give up on God, not to pray, not go to church. You've got to understand it is what? Spiritual in nature. And so he's talking about the last days. Secondly, when depart from faith, it can it's talking about a place in truth. In the word of God. We know that the truth shall make you free. That uh, in the last days demons will come to try to get people away depart from truth. What truth? Well the, the truth of God. A anytime there is just a slight error then the devil can come and take advantage of them. The Bible talks about winds of doctrines. 
And there's a lot of winds in doctrine. Uh, again, just an illustration. Uh, I don't know if it's still going on, but there was an emphasis of what people called hypergrace. Uh, there is a truth of grace. We need to embrace grace, understand that we're saved by faith and, and through grace. It's not of ourselves and so forth. But there, there was a hyper error in this where, um, you know, your works don't matter. There's nothing, you know, your works don't determine anything. And then it goes on to say that 1 John 1, 9 was not written to Christians. It was written to the lost world that we don't need to repent of our sins anymore. You know, and again, these people love God. These people have not turned away from God, but they turned away from the truth. And again, what we're saying in the last days, seducing spirits, doctrines of devils. And so that's why the Bible says in the last days, uh, be watchful, be sober, you know, to stay true to things. And again, I'm, we're, we're all here. We've not departed from the faith. We love God. We've endeavored to follow the truth. But there's a third area that I, I want to talk about that I believe it is very, very strong and very, very subtle that I, I feel like I want to expose uh, this. And so there is a great, great assault trying to get people to depart from their divine connection. Or their place that God has ordained from them. Now, folks have justified this. Folks have reasoned it. But we got to look at the word of God. Again, the last days. What are seducing spirits trying to get people to depart? Now, just some from scriptures. God has a divine place for all of us. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says this. Now God has set the members, everyone in the body, as he pleased him. How many know that God places people in congregations, places people uh, in the body of Christ as it pleased him? So God puts people in a place. Ephesians 6, I'm at 4, 16 says this. That there is a divine supply when you're in your place. Verse 16, it says, Whom the whole body fitly joined together, compacted by which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working measure of every part, maketh increase of the body to the edifying itself of love. Now that sounds pretty deep in the King James. What is saying that, that the body Christ is like our natural bodies? Every part of our body has a place, has a function, and long as it's in place and function, everything works well. My heart is great. It works great long as it's in my body. But if my, my heart is outside my body, guess what? Not only does my heart suffer, we all suffer. And so God has placed everyone in the body's Met him. And so to say, well, I can be a good Christian, not be part of the body is like taking your thumb off, taking your finger off, taking your eye out or so forth. We, we need everybody. But not only does the body not uh, need the part, but the part needs the body. Your heart will do what a heart does, but if it's outside the body, it, it cannot really do what it's called to do. It won't pump. Your, your lungs is great where it is. It helps the whole body. It's in its place. It receives blood, receives, everything works together. You know, air comes in through your trachea and so forth like that. Everything works great in its place. So what he's saying, that when God places people in the body, there is a divine supply. You receive a divine supply from God and from other members, and you bring a divine supply. And again, we, we, we all know this. But if Satan can seduce someone to get out of their place how many know it robs them of their grace it robs them of the supply and it also robs the body and so we, we we want to look at this is departing from where god placed you how many christians have departed 
from the church that God has placed them in. Now, they may say, well, I just got mad at the pastor. There has been, and I think I want to term it this, there's been a great assault in this one area is the spirit of offense. An offense. We've talked about this. I've traveled in other churches, and it is rampant, not only in the world, but in the church. Not only in the congregation, but in leadership. That everybody's offended. You know, everybody's offended. You know, and this one's offended. I'm offended at church. I'm offended at the pastor. I'm offended at this minister. I'm offended. I'm offended. Offended. And folks just think it's their opinion, the right to think a certain way. What it is, is in a spirit of offense to trying to get you to depart from your place in the body. And so I just want us to see that and identify that. And, um, you know, God will test your heart by the weakness of your leader. You know, how many people, God gave them a job. Prayed for a job, and, and God opened the job, and all of a sudden they got offended at the boss or co-worker, and all of a sudden they got miffed, they got offended, and they quit or did something, and they lost their job. Something that God gave them to be a blessing and to provide for them, something God did for them, all of a sudden Satan convinced them to get offended they departed, and now they have, no longer have that job that God gave them the supply and the connections that God had for them. And then they, they're kind of in purgatory or limbo, and they're always praying for a job. They go from one crisis, one place to another, and they get offended, and they leave, and they wonder why God don't bless them. Because they departed from the place that God had for them. So, And we see that in the workplace. And we see this greatly in the body of Christ. Because you have to understand that God puts us places that uh, he desires for us to learn from, to grow from, and to be blessed thereby. But if Satan can get us away from that, then we've departed from our place. And things won't work out for us. And uh, you have to understand, I was just thinking about all through my life, that whenever God placed me somewhere or with someone, there was always difficulties, there was always challenges, and there was always opportunities to be offended. And you have to understand that's spiritual. I, 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 we, can, we can have story time. Would you like to have story time? You know, I got born again, and... Um, God supernaturally, and I remember I walk into my room and all of a sudden something hit me and all of a sudden I knew that I knew that I was to be hooked up with Kenneth e. Hagin. I was to go to this Bible school. I knew that I knew God supernaturally connected me to the place. And you just think everyone would get on board and, and support you. Job's comforters came out of the woodwork. I'm talking about family members. I had an uncle come out from a different state just to tell me that I didn't have what it takes and tried to talk me out of it. You know, and just bam, 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 you know. And what was that? Satan trying to keep me from that place. What would have happened if I never went to Raymond? What would have happened if I never got hooked up with Kennedy Hagan? I'd still be working out in the vineyards, still praying and believing God for my ministry. See, I would never had that. I would never have the heart's desire unless I got hooked up right. I mean, there was financial char uh, challenges and so forth, but I no, I obeyed. He tried to get me to depart from my place. Now, of course, I went, to Rain, I went to Raymond, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it, it was great and wonderful, and I received so much. I received my instructions and so forth. And, uh, you know, when I left New York, I said, I'll never return to New York again. Never say never to God. Then I have a, a man of Macedonia experience, a supernatural experience. 
that tells me to go and help Pastor David at BCF. Supernaturally. And so uh, I go. And of course you just think everything's going to be light and easy and super cool. And you know everyone's going to say to you, blessed are you that come in the name of the Lord. I had people try to talk me out of it. Friends. Family. Oh, you don't want to be a part of that. Um, you know, I was going to write, and I, I worked for Pastor David for seven years. Uh, I would have wrote a book, but Brother Hagen beat me to it. I would have named my book, my seven, my seven years, I went to hell. Maybe I'd say seven years of hell. And it wasn't because, of, but there was difficulties. There was challenges. Why? If you read the parable of the sower... When the word is sown, whenever anybody takes an increase to God, it says that Satan comes immediately to try to steal the seed. That's good, yes. he, and uh, if he can't just keep you from that place and you start going to that place, he'll cause tribulations and hardships to come. And I tell you, they came. I mean, I, I can give you a list. I had worked seven days a week for seven years and I received one part-time pay. And on top, probably the most humiliating thing, I had to live with my parents for seven years after being on my own. <laughs> oh, dear God. And if you know my mother, that, that just uh, made it extra special. <laughs> extra, ex she's in heaven now. And, uh, you know, then, of course, cold weather. And, you know, I had to, I had to work in coolers that where it was 28 degrees you know, for 12 hours a day at times and, and so forth. And here I'm called in ministry. Then every time I, I went to church, worked in a plant and so forth, it, it was difficult. It was hard. But Satan made it hard to get me to depart. See, if I would have departed from that place, I would not be where I am today. Now, the reason I bring this, give you light and understanding. Hardships does not determine God's will in your life. Don't say it's hard, must not be the will of God. Satan will come and make things hard to keep you out of the will of God. Not only that, I had opportunities. I, I had friends that say, hey, come over and work with me in California. In California, there's sun, not like Western New York. Then we only get sun for two months out of the year. And so all these things continually happen. It was very difficult. Why? Satan wanted to get me to depart from my place. See, a lot of times people don't understand this. I mean, in work, it gets difficult. What do people do? They quit. Uh, they go to a church that they believe God sent them, and someone didn't shake their hand. The pastor may have said something, and they're so easily offended, and they leave. And know this, Satan will always try to get you offended at the leader. Satan tried to get me offended with the pastor. The pastors were wonderful, but try, thoughts would come, situations would come, try to get me offended. Why? He wanted to get me to depart from my place. If he could get me to depart from my place, I, can, I would depart from my destiny. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're just, I'm just kind of showing you. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. Yeah. Yes. And it is amazing. We saw this. We saw how church Christians no longer go to church. They depart from church. Or Satan will cause offense. God will lead them to church and they get offended and depart from church. But it's amazing how ministers are seduced from their place. Yeah. Let's not get quiet. Unless you're a minister, then you should be quiet. <laughs> you know, I've been on board. I was divinely connected to Kenneth Hagin after Kenneth Hagin went to Dr. Frayne. And I w I've just been simply amazed of how God called ministers to a supply of ministry. Every, every minister ought to have a minister speak in their life. That God's connected them with. God, there, there was multiple ministers that, that Kenneth, the people that God connected to Kenneth Hagin. And something happened 
And they didn't like them. They stopped going to camp meeting. They stopped supporting his ministry. And it was something small or fickle. Something said or son said. And people got offended of that. And all of a sudden, they departed from Kenneth Hagin. And every single one of the, those ministries began to suffer. I've seen that with Dr. Dufresne. I saw people that got offended in a decision he made, and uh, they departed. After everything he put into them, everything he spoke to them, how many know that that's how the devil works? In offense, that people can put a ton into you, but if there's one thing that sets them off, they forget every good thing that they ever had. Yeah. And you got to understand that, you know this, if you have kids, you can give and give your kids and they're upset one day and, you know, the hell with you. You know, you're ruining my life. And it's just the moment of the, that one offense, everything else gets blotted out. Yeah. And not one of us is above this. I can't tell you how many people I trained. I remember a young man that God sent to us. And I divinely helped him. I cast demons out of him. Um, turned his life around. His parents could not help me, thank me enough. This is, I have a brand new son. And I began to train him and groom him for ministry. And uh, I helped him. And, and his parents would get, oh, because he, he was wayward, he was bellish, now he's respectful. I gave him a job, he worked for me. And I also helped pay to go to Bible school. He had a call of God in his life. And, you know, just turned his life around. Well, when he was at Raymond, he got offended with his boss, who happened to work for the ministry. And it's an amazing story. Here for years and years, I've been helping him, blessing him, gave him money and so forth like that. He gets offended with his boss, and it's troubling him. And so my wife and I and our kids, we drove 20 hours to Tulsa to go to a, uh, to a conference down there. And we just drove into the lobby, meeting me calls and shows up, I need to talk to you. And so after driving 20 hours, it's so pressing, he had to talk to me, so I sat with him a few hours. You know, after driving 20 hours, you, you, you just want to go to bed. But I listened to him. And I said, all right, this week when I'm there, I'll talk to your boss, I'll just see what's going on. Because it's the ministry, I, I know people. And so I went to go uh, talk to his boss, and his boss just told me everything. And his boss was right. This young man's wrong. His boss has every right to expect this of this person. And so when I want to tell this man that I spent years changing his life, changing his life, and so forth. I says, You're, there's nothing wrong with your boss. He's right. You, you, you just have to do what he says. And guess what? He got offended at me. And now I'm the Antichrist. And what, what was that? A spirit got a hold of him to depart. Here he was on the right path for ministry. He got offended. He quit Ramah and he quit associating with me. And for years, I tried to help him afterwards. And then one time in the spirit, the Lord showed me that there was a demon on him. And, and you know, I saw myself wrestle with that demon, trying to get it off of him. And I mean, I worked and I worked and I worked. Finally got it off of myself. Thank God it's off of him. And as soon as I got off, it jumped right back on him. And I saw that he wanted that offense. He wanted that demon. Yep. Now, why am I saying? Why such a cheerful message? I'm going to be gone for a few weeks. <laughs> yeah. You're going to have Pastor Scott, my wife, you know, people. Oh, cheerful, wonderful message. But Paul said in the last days... Seducing spirits to get people to depart. A lot of times we look at this all in the natural. People get offended and hurt about their connections. But it's spiritual nature. I can't tell you how many times with all my spiritual leaders, thoughts would come against them. And I just laugh because I know that's a seducing spirit. Trying to get me to depart. But how many people listen to that stuff? And close your Bibles. It's probably close already. But you got to understand this. You cannot catch a fish with just a hook unless they're very hungry. You have to put a juicy worm to lure them. So Satan will put a thought that kind of makes it tempting. Yeah, there's an element of truth to that. I mean, no, no, no leader is perfect. 
to get a mouse and mousetrap, you just don't set a mousetrap. You have to put a piece of cheese or bacon, something to, to lure it. There'll be thoughts that come to you that will seem tasty. Yeah, that's true. Oh, I wish I had time. And that's why you need to be careful about who you associate with and who you listen to. See, Satan will come through thoughts, but the greatest way deception is carried out is if you watch someone that has a wrong spirit, that spirit can get on you. If you associate, if you associate people that are, are offended, you know what offended people like to do? They like to talk about their offense. And if they're always talking about someone doing something, they have a spirit of offense. And see, Satan didn't leave heaven just by himself. He brought a third people. And a spirit of offense will always try to get people and talk and talk and talk. And so if someone is talking against your place, be careful because that thing can get on you. Okay, I am leaving next week. Okay, would you allow me another story? Just show, this is all spiritual. And for anybody that's visiting, I'm, I'm sorry, well, I can death, I go in length. All right, to depart. I remember sitting in my office, and a person came to my office. Now, you, you may say, is it me? me? No, remember, I cannot tell the illustrations of anyone that comes to my church. You leave the church, and I'm free to talk about you. <laughs> and uh, they came. And uh, they started sharing how they were vexed. I would call it offended. They were very dignified, diplomatic. They had deep concerns about some of the leaders of our church. And they began to speak about certain leaders, which were great leaders. And I had no problem with the leaders. I thought the leaders were great and doing a great job. And they came and started talking about the problems they have with their leaders. The problems with this leader. And you know. Of course I was kind. And I tried to be very pastoral. And listen to them. And give them good counsel. You know then that person left. And as they left. I started to think bad about those leaders. And thoughts started to come about those leaders. Yeah those leaders. Those leaders. This and that. And that went on for about 30 seconds a minute. And I began to realize, what is going on? The spirit of offense, the spirit that was seducing that person was now trying to get on me because she vented to me. And it was trying to get a hold of me too. And so I said, no, you don't, Satan. I break your power in Jesus' name. Now, an immediate thing left. I was back to good thoughts about that person. So again, I'm just showing you how it works. There's a spirit of fence, and there's a witness to this end time. I'm showing you how it works. Depart. Demons try to get you to depart. Not just from God, but a place, a place of faith, consecration, and a place of your divine supply. But um, if you don't like the message, I blame it on you. I, I, I said, help me. You didn't like the way it came out. I said, I needed, I need utterance, and this is what came out. <laughs> so how many know this is helpful? Yeah. And again, I talked about me, not about you. So praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we're just so grateful and thankful. Lord, even though it's a sobering message, it is a true message. You must be heeded. And Father, help us to identify <clears throat> the times we live in. Help us to see. What is truth and what is a lie? Help us to have a discerning heart in these last days. Help us to take captive every thought to realize our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. And Father, we saw that in the last days, it will try to get us to depart. And so Father, we're not going to depart. We're going to stay true. And Father, I just thank you for everyone that stayed faithful and true to you. In Jesus' name. With that about nice clothes, I know we got more, just about all home folks here, but we just want to make sure everyone is born again and walking with the Lord. So real quick, if you've never been born again, or two, you have been born again, and you need to rededicate your life, would you raise your hand real quick? 
real quick. Anybody here? I know we're all home folks, but we just want to make sure. For those of you watching online, I know it was a different kind of message, but we can see this happen in the world. The spirit of offense is in the world, but the spirit of offense is in the church to get people to depart. And so if you're watching and you've never been born again, the Bible says you must be born again or you'll not see the kingdom of God. Why do we need to be born again? Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no natural remedy for sin. Only the blood of God can wash away our sins. That's why we need the blood of Jesus. So it doesn't matter how good or bad you, you are, how many good works or bad works, we all need a Savior. His name's Jesus. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you're watching right now and you don't have Jesus' Savior, call on him. How do you call? Just say, Jesus, become my Lord. I accept your sacrifice. I believe you, you died for me and rose again from the dead. A very simple prayer like that can save your life, save your eternity. And so whether you're backslidden or you need born, you just, just call on to God right now and come and walk in the light of the word. Walk with God. And when Jesus comes, you'll be ready at his coming. Amen. Well, there was a different kind of message, but this was wrong in my heart. But uh, it, it, it's important. You know, part is my job as a watchman, you know, these, these things. You know, my wife and I, we pray a lot. And we just keep calling them attacks, attacks, people attacks. And again, it's not per se physical, some are physical, but the, the onslaught, oppression, thinking wrong, offenses, and so forth. So we want to be wise. And that way, thoughts come. You smile with big, I know what this is. And then you stay true to the path. Well, we certainly love you. You won't see me for a little bit here. And so please uh, pray for me if you think about it. And I'm looking forward to come back and give all the report of what God did in Europe. God bless you. You're dismissed.